Welcome to Instruction Interruption, a podcast to celebrate New Mexico education in every corner of our beautiful state. I am host Mandy Torres, the 2020 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Join us as educators talk pedagogy and practice and even share lessons they have learned along their teacher journey. This podcast is sponsored by the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and is produced in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department. Educators, make sure to look out for my teacher-to-teacher email in your school inbox with information and resources for the U.S. Census. Time is running out for all New Mexico families to get counted. Every adult and every child brings $3,700 in federal money to the state every year for the next 10 years. The deadline to respond is September 30th. Before we get started, here is an update from the PED regarding the new educator evaluation system. Hey everyone, this is Daniel Gozi from the NMPED, Educator Growth and Development Bureau. We're excited to announce the launch of Elevate New Mexico, which is the new educator evaluation system. The purpose of this system is to improve student learning, growth, and well-being, promote educator learning, growth, and well-being, while supporting meaningful, actionable feedback and professional self-reflection and strengthen a learning culture through communication, collaboration, continuous improvement, and shared ownership. For the 2021 school year, there will be no summative reports generated by the PED. Please visit our website at the NMPED under Educator Growth and Development. We look forward to hearing your feedback and your experience of the new system. This week, I sit down with Andrea Thomas, a third grade teacher at Ojo Amarillo Elementary in Fruitland. Andrea is a fellow with Teach Plus New Mexico and has served on the Secretary of Education's Advisory Council. She also serves on the Navajo Nation Board of Education. Andrea talks about her grandfather, a dedicated Navajo educator, and how he inspired her to return to the reservation. Every year, my goal was to make my Che proud. And, you know, when I came back, he he devoted so many hours and so much time in trying to, you know, really improve the education system with on the Navajo Nation and have an impact in that. I felt like through all of, I don't know, my mistakes or through everything, that this was the way that I could show him that all that work that he did there was a reason and there was a purpose. Andrea also will talk about looping and her work on the Educator Evaluation Task Force. So put your pencils down and listen up. We're ready to interrupt your day with one of New Mexico's teacher leaders. Thanks for joining today, Andrea, especially as we're in this busy time of starting a new school year, and especially this year when nothing really seems the same. I'll just start by asking, how are you really? I know my automatic response seems to just be, you know, hanging in there, but I know that you switched schools, you're a mother, and you're involved in leadership activities, plus with a pandemic, and I think you're taking some grad school classes too, so everything must be a little crazy for you right now. So yeah, a lot of things have been new this year, Um, so I think 
for the most part, I'm very optimistic. I'm very positive about everything because I feel like everything has a purpose. You know, unfortunately, this is not how we envisioned everything, but having the opportunity to relocate to a new school, it's outside of the community that I've been teaching in for a while, Shiprock. I've moved to a community still on the Navajo Nation um, in Upper Fruitland, and I'm very excited about the leadership that I have within that school, the principal there, and you know, since I've been there meeting the team, everybody, I'm, I'm very surprised but happy to hear when I return to the building the enthusiasm the teachers have. Um, you know, there has been not the like, how we're not going to be able to do it, you know, not the gripe, but like, let's get it done. We know our students need us. We know what happened at the end of last year. We don't want to repeat that. So let's work together, you know, get the students to work collaboratively, build that rigor within the classroom. And then I think the other big struggle right now is our district um, is not well supplied with technology. So it's looking like we're having to make paper packets. So now it's that discussion of how do we make packets that are quality, that are differentiated, that are thinking of the students and not introducing new content in these students who've been out of school for essentially six months because um, our start date's not going to be until September. So there's a lot of pieces in there, but regardless, I feel like our students and our teachers are up for the challenge and being able to be in an environment where people feel motivation to want to get to work. You touched a bit on the equity piece with technology access. And early in the pandemic, I was speaking with this group of teachers from around the country, and one of the educators gave this analogy about a boat. And she said that we may all be in the same ocean going through this pandemic together, but we all have different boats, right? Some people have a yacht, and some people barely have a rickety old raft to hang on to. Talk more about inequity in education from your point of view as a Native educator in a rural school district? The school district that I work at is on, located on the Navajo Nation in Northwest New Mexico. And I grew up in the area. Um, it's Four Corners area with my grandparents. A lot of our students and their families have lived here for generations. And um, it's a farming community. A lot of farmers, the produce, everyone right now is picking out their produce from their farms, getting ready to sell. And that's always a, a big event for us. We have local fairs that, you know, that travel around the Navajo Nation. It's a good opportunity for a lot of our cultural events to start coming out and communities to come get together. We rely a lot on our communities and kind of helping to support one another. Um, and so what, you know, one of the things that I really noticed prior to the pandemic is just within education is that the education system didn't really take in the culture as much as it could and bring that into the classroom, you know, really have opportunities where they're offering a more culturally responsive instruction to students knowing their population of students. Because I think we're rural, the infrastructure that we have for technology, for homes, it, it really makes it hard for people to come out and find a place to live and want to teach in the area. Usually they'll come to the nearby town, live there eventually, kind of will 
um, we'll travel to Shiprock and then we'll go back to their town. But eventually I think it just becomes the needs of just the, the conveniences of having a, a grocery store where you can get the supplies you need. Um, a lot of that and the conveniences that kind of make people's lives a little bit easier are not around the Navajo or not in our area. So it to live here, to be here, you have to be invested. Um, you have to either know somebody or be around or have family or somebody that you could live with that you could be, you know, just to make your life a little bit easier. But I think just over the years, I just seem to move away from listening to what our community needs are, listening to and valuing teacher voice, what they have to say, because Central Consolidated School District covers a number of different communities and particularly um, schools that are off the reservation and on the reservation that has caused teachers to, you know, or each community to have their different needs. And instead of those being brought into the classroom, instead at a district level, it's kind of because they want to support it's there, they want to give it out to everybody, but not let each school kind of decide what they think is best. And I think that that kind of is the big thing that hinders a lot of the change that could happen. And so with that comes technology. There are some teachers that are going and getting their master's and going and continuing their education, their professional growth on their own. And um, you know, with that, they start to realize the opportunity to advance their education. And when that comes in, they take, bring those practices back in, but then you're kind of like, especially with technology, when you have, um, you know, our district didn't really respond. And it could be funding. I mean, I think a lot of it does come down to the funding piece. We've heard that in the past. Um, our district is one of the three districts that has been fighting for the impact aid. You know, we've had the challenges with Yazzie Martinez. So I think that there has been efforts in the central office to try to deal with that. But as a result, it's impacted the type of education instruction that was happening at other levels because there was just so much movement going down. There wasn't a continuous leadership. We've never, as a district, moved forward in supplying all of our students or bringing technology in and updated technology into the classroom. So that's always been something we've been behind about. I don't know if it's there's not enough people advocating for it, that it's just, oh, well, we know that the infrastructure on the Navajo Nation isn't good or in the reservation, so we're not going to worry about that until it becomes an issue. And so flash forward, we're here, and that is exactly what happened. We, you know, when in March, when schools closed down, we immediately were told that we needed to do um, instructional packets like a lot of districts had because we couldn't respond to that. But then I think the planning process, it started to shift where a lot of the community, the teachers and people started to turn back on the district to, to look at them. What's your plan? What do we can do now? This is where we are. We're, we're seeing what's happening. You guys are taking notes and getting feedback from teachers on what the concerns are, what the struggles are, what the successes are, what improvements can be made, what kind of planning process are you going to go through in the next couple of months to prepare and so we don't have technology. We're starting this school year and we don't have technology, um, which is the biggest. And, and, and it's hard because I'm in a, in a, at a point where 
I'm trying to, to be supportive, but at the same time, I'm disappointed because I feel like as teachers, we're doing the best that we can. You know, parents, they, they're willing, despite whatever circumstances they may have, they want their child to get an education. They want them to have those opportunities. For me, being Diné, being Navajo, growing up here, I, and, the, and the investment that I have to the students, I'm like, we should be pouring all of our money and resources into our students. They should be able to have the best. I like the analogy of the boat and like how like, or the different types of, you know, ways of traveling, because I feel like that's what it is. And I was very happy um, when it was decided that they're like, in ways that, okay, it's local control, you guys can decide how you want to um, navigate what your plans are, what works for you, that's great, to an extent, you still have to have some support. But I think that that allowed currently right now with our principal to decide what it is that she feels is best by really listening to teachers. And I really have seen that shift from where I was before and where we are moving forward now with really asking and putting that, like, what do teachers need? What do you need to do to support you? How, as we move forward, it's just, it, it highlights a lot of other issues that I think that kind of stem historically from other issues that have happened with Native with Native Americans, especially with Navajos in New Mexico here with their land and education. And so all of that has just, I think, just kind of prevented some systematic change. There's a lot of systemic change that needs to happen, not just in New Mexico, but for our whole education system, for the entire country, for that matter. So let's go back to how you first got into teaching. Describe your school experience when you were growing up, and when did you know that you were headed into this profession? Okay, this is my favorite thing to say. So I grew up, um, like I said, I grew up here in Shiprock and Tisnaspans, which is in the Four Corners area, about 30 minutes um, west of Shiprock. I grew up um, with my parents, but mainly my grandparents. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. They were my life. Like I, I followed them everywhere. I was always around them. My Che, I always talk about my grandfather, my Che, um, Che in Navajo. And he has been my model, my role model from a very young age. Uh, he was a product of the boarding school era, um, was, you know, his mother died at a really young age and he was removed um, and went to several boarding schools across the country. Um, you know, through his experiences, he ended up in California at Sherman Indian School and went through the regular high school, played football, um, you know, ended up finishing college or high school really early and then decided to um, continue his education, went to Utah State, graduated from college, and then eventually he went to UNM and he got his master's at UNM. So he came back to the Navajo Nation and he was... He, a teacher for a while um, and then eventually became one of the first Navajo principals on the Navajo Nation. Um, so within that he's always had this place in education. So growing up his daughters, he had a couple of daughters that were educators as well. I just grew up in a house of educators um, and people where education was a priority but we also participated in our culture like with my grandmother on the weekends and the summers we went and helped to feed the sheep. We'd help my grandfather plant his farm. We do some weaving under the 
under the tree. Um, my grandma would talk to us in Navajo. So growing up, it was just, it was never a second thought. It was just, I hope you're doing well in school. You need to be reading. You need to get up early. You know, one of the big things he has is that you wake up before the birds wake up. And that's how you know that you're waking up on time. I, when we were living with them, we grew up without running water, um, without electricity at times. I mean, it, it, it just really it humbled me in ways that now as an adult, I really appreciate. And if I didn't have those experiences, I wouldn't be who I am today. So I went to school on the reservation until I was in sixth grade in Central Consolidated until sixth grade. Seventh grade, my mom decided to move me to Chandler, Arizona, um, because she was taking her, getting, going to school for her master's at ASU. And at that time, I didn't understand why, but she was like, I want you to have a better education. And I'm like, why? I'm fine here. My family's here. My friends are here. I grew up playing basketball. And I was like, I want to be a Shiprock Chieftain. That's my goal. My dad was around. He was a basketball player too. And it just, that's the life I knew. It was who we were, Shiprock Fair, every, every October, first week of October. There was just so many special pieces of my identity and who I was. And I just didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go. When I went to middle school and high school, I really struggled. I was behind. I couldn't catch up, especially in math. Um, I've always been kind of a reader. My mom always made sure I had books and always had books that were culturally relevant. So they always had characters that were Native Americans, different tribes. She always tried to introduce me to different tribes. And so when we moved out there, I struggled in math. I was that student. I, in high school, it got to where it was like, there was no choice if you go to college. That was always just like you, they, you were going to college. So after high school, that's the next thing. And I remember in high school, my junior year, I had done so poorly in all the math classes that I have. And I share this story with my students. I share it so that they know that just because you struggle now doesn't mean that, that that's the end. You can, you know, overcome this. And I had to take these like remedial courses. I ended up having to take this zero hour where I had to wake up every morning or get to school every morning at like 6.20 just so I could be in class before. <laughs> oh, my mom was so mad at me, but she did get to work on times. I got through the class. I graduated. I remember like, oh my gosh, I hope I get to graduate. I hope I get, because it wasn't terrible. I didn't miss school. It was just hard. It was just so hard for me. And I went to a really large high school where I was just one of maybe 10 to 15 other Native Americans in the whole school and one of only like five Navajos. I graduated. And then afterwards, I, I tried to go to school um, at a community college in Phoenix, but just life and family circumstances and other things came up that kind of prevented me from really diving in. And to be honest, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't really feel at that point I was really good at anything. I was good at basketball and I stopped playing basketball um, because my grades started to slip in that math class and then it just ended up being just like a domino effect it just it started to not have an interest of these in anything that I felt was going to help me later so I had didn't think I was good at anything um, and then I had my son my oldest and he was that game changer for me. I mean, he was that shift of like, he was my purpose. I was now 
a young mother, didn't have a college degree. You know, at that point, at that time, I really felt like I had disappointed my grandparents because they believed in me. They really, they prayed for me. They had not, they had traditional ceremonies for me. They really pushed for me for this, but it motivated me to be like, hey, like I have this child here. I want them to have the best opportunities. What do I need to do? Um, So I moved from Arizona back to New Mexico and I lived in Gallup for a year between Gallup and um, where my dad lives um, on the reservation, Mexican Springs, not Caipatol. And so I applied for a bank teller job. My dad, he didn't want my son to go anywhere, to go to any childcare. Um, So he quit his job and he started taking care of him. Within like six months, it was like, okay, it's repetitive for me. I get it. Like, I know what to do. This is easy. I need something else to do. Let me see if I can take a couple of classes at uh, the UNM branch, Gallup branch. Let me see what, what would interest me. Let me start with just, I had already taken the prereq classes. Now I needed to kind of, I thought at first, when I first started school that I wanted to do um, something in like business. So started taking classes within there, but then quickly realized like, wait a minute, I'm not, I don't like math. Why am I going into this field? <laughs> so, so then I started taking early childhood. I had this child, I was trying to, how do I be, how my mother, how do I teach him? What, what do I do? And so I started taking a couple of chi- early childhood classes and he was my guinea pig. He was the person that I used. And once I started to see that the, you know, these strategies were helping and just the connection that we had, it was like, I could see the learning happen within this child. And it was just so satisfying that it was like, oh my gosh, how great would it be? Like, that didn't seem like that hard. I could do that. Like I could do that with other students. So took those classes and eventually really liked it, went to UNM and started taking classes there. I graduated and immediately as I started um, taking the methods classes and really discovering a little bit more of who I was as an educator, always went back to my own experience of having gone to school on the reservation. And because my mom and her experiences when she got educated and then left the reservation, started to see the different opportunities that were offered to others that she wanted that for me. And I'm very thankful for that. But I also feel that shouldn't be the case for everyone. I feel like a part of me always was just missing home, was miss, miss being within the four sacred mountains that we have here on our, you know, on our land. And it's just, it's that purpose. It's the identity of who we are as Native people. We, we associate where we come from to our families. And that was when I moved to the city, it was my mom, myself, and my brother. Everybody else was away. So it was like, great, I have these opportunities. But as, as a result, I missed out on other things in my life that I felt were really important. With that new mindset as becoming an educator, and then with my own boys, them not growing up on the reservation, not near some people like my grandparents, I wanted them to know who they were and not just to me tell them. I wanted them to experience it. Um, so that really has commit, made me commit myself to wanting to come back and offer and provide for however many students I can 
an education where their parents feel proud that they are happy with and satisfied with the learning that their child gets, but the child is within the community that they grew up in around family and they don't feel like they have to leave, but they still have those same opportunities. Every year, my goal was to make my Che proud. And, you know, when I came back, he you know, devoted so many hours and so much time in trying to, you know, really improve the education system with on the Navajo Nation and have an impact in that. I felt like through all of, I don't know, my mistakes or through everything that this was the way that I could show him that all that work that he did, there was a reason and there was a purpose. And he passed this past January. And I'm so thankful for the time that we've had together because he's been my biggest inspiration that I've had. My thing was always to make him proud, always to make him proud. How can he be happy to know that his long life of serving in education is going to continue to move on and or is going to continue and it's going to you know improve for the better in december when i was sworn in for the navajo nation board of education being there having that whole day with him and my my grandma my mom and just being around that oh it was so meaningful it was so special so i appreciate that and that's something that i just i have over me all the time and that work ethic that commitment to your people, to improving the lives of our Deneff people is really the thing that drives me. Well, he sounds like an amazing man. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure that he's very proud of you. Um, Andrea, you are just doing so many amazing things and you're involved in so much stuff. You're advocating. I love your advocacy that you do uh, on social media. And I feel like you're going to make a difference and you are making a difference. Um, And I can't wait to see all the amazing things that you're going to do in your career. Let's move to our teacher shortage here in New Mexico, which is worrisome. um, But I think I'm more concerned about the lack of teachers of color in our classrooms. Even here in New Mexico, where we are a majority minority state, we are not at parity with our teacher workforce. How do you think we should go about getting more native students to take an interest in teaching? I, I, I've been in this big focus of, or proponent of grow your own, right? Like I really see that I am the, the, the teachers um, that I've noticed that have had the biggest impact, you know, around here are the people who the students can see themselves as. And not that nobody isn't, I mean, everybody really does their, their part, but I feel like the connections that we really see and to really understand I, the um, connections that the students and even their families will feel when they have a teacher that resembles, you know, kind of resembles them, um, it just makes it a lot more meaningful for the students. And so, but we have a lot of great educators who are <laughs> committed to their students and who do that regardless, will go into the community, will learn, have lived in the community, have immersed themselves and have learned those cultural pieces so that they then share that with their um, students. But, you know, right now there's conversations happening. And I think that um, what I have noticed is uh, Diné College, the college that they have has, um, is really starting to get a lot more students within their education program and that's really starting to to see where they're they're trying to make a shift into trying to get more students to become educators we have a really good educator in also we have a really good 
um, teacher out in Newcomb who is the Educators Rising, so the, t- the group of the leader for the, the teachers that are upcoming. And um, I've seen the work that she's done in the past couple of years and getting, getting students on board. And I think that those are programs that I think that need to be implemented in all of our high schools on the reservation. You know, with that comes teachers who are committed to doing that work and or maybe the opportunities of um, supporting those teachers who want to take on that in addition to all of what they have. So I know that she's probably, this, in, this individual um, is going above and beyond her already tasks or what she's having to teach and then is doing clubs on top of that, right? Um, but she had a lot of success uh, this past year. And I think that if we can just provide students with the opportunities at early at the early age, what the possibilities are and connecting them with our local community college will then be that stepping stone to help them. So even starting within middle school, having them partner up with their local community, if it's a tribal college or community school or a community college like San Juan College, and start getting mentors or people around them that they can start looking at that as something that they want to do you know when you talk you ask kids what do you want to be when you grow up especially in like third fourth and fifth it it always makes me happy when I hear that they're like oh I want to be a teacher and I remember saying when I wanted to be a teacher when I was little and that was like checking papers right and like (laughs) all this like on a chalkboard standing like Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a teacher but their thing is so different. And when their parents, like when, when they talk about when they want to be a teacher and they're like, I want to be like you, I want to do these kinds of things. And so eventually at some point we lose them. And I think it's because we don't really provide them with those opportunities and the support to let them know how they can continue with that path. Um, and so I think that really trying to get programs and college programs to work with these tribal communities to help to make that transfer a little bit easier, um, you know, really starting to identify those students in high school that demonstrate qualities that you see that could make them a good teacher, that they didn't know they were a good teacher, but give them a mentor and somebody and they'll be like, hey, and I think so much of the time, sometimes, when we talk about educators or even ourselves, we don't realize how we come across in front of students. So if we're like, oh, why are we doing this? Or like, I'm so tired or I'm so overworked. You say these things, that's also going to push students away as well. But if we change the language and we make it something that's an investment that you're putting, you're sharing your talents with someone, you're, you're making the lives of you know, your own people better and providing them better opportunities, they start to understand that more, you know, like, I think it it resonates with them a little bit more um, with what is involved in being a teacher. But with that, that has another conversation with, okay, now we really need to start looking at the teacher education programs and what they're doing and how, you know, we can focus on, for example, like UNM, I went to UNM, And when they do their field experiences, you usually have to go within the area, right? Usually an APS or um, Rio Ranch, somewhere within the area. Luckily, I was fortunate to be placed in a charter school in Albuquerque at the time. 
but I had already known what I wanted to do. I already had the experience of knowing the community I was coming from. So I had that in the back of my mind. Okay, this is what I'm going to be working with. Even though I'm working with these students here that have all these means, it's completely different. But the practices of what I'm learning here, how can I take that and apply it knowing where I come from? I think sometimes, you know, it's teachers are given, like if you're a student or you're learning to become a teacher and you don't intend on living in the city, you intend on living in your community or returning back, you could get a false experience in where you're at thinking that this is what it would be like. And they're preparing you for all these things that you resources, support, um in the city but then when you move back to your community you're then just left trying to figure it out so i wanted to ask you about looping i looped twice with two different classes taking them from third to fourth and it made such a difference in the relationships and the progress that we were able to make and i really wish that more schools and more teachers would consider doing this more often because i think it can be such a game changer for a lot of our students and a lot of our families um, can you talk a little bit about your experience with looping and what you think of it? Yeah, for sure. I love it. The looping experience, I've had two cohorts of looping. So the first one um, was I looped from third to fourth. At that point, I wasn't familiar with anybody who had really participated it, in it. Um, I was really into the idea because I had mentioned that my boys, I had made a commitment to have them come out here and I really wanted to teach my son <laughs> and so the one my my oldest I was telling you about because I I wanted that opportunity and I'm like how awesome would it be if this could happen and that's kind of where that idea kind of sparked and and luckily I had a, a an administrator who understood my reasons why I wanted to do that and and with that, I had a great group, third and fourth, and that um, was a game changer for me. You know, I third grade was okay because I had taught third grade before, but when I had to loop to fourth grade, that was like whole new material. I had to, you know, it, it, it is a little daunting thinking about, okay, I just learned. I'm, I'm a new teacher for the most part. I'm still learning third grade, but now I'm looping to fourth. And so now I'm having to learn these fourth grade standards, learn with the, you know, learn how to work with a new fourth grade teacher and still, you know, understand what my needs are for my students. But having looped with them, knowing their progress, knowing where they were at in fourth or third allowed fourth to go a lot smoother. And I also think what I noticed in the second cohort that I had, um, which I had that opportunity to loop with them from third fourth to fifth was the consistency that helped. I think that that was the biggest thing that I've noticed is like having a teacher who knows where you are and is growing with you and your needs over time and you opening up to become comfortable with that person. Once we started to work together and talk with parents, I started to see the change in students and their academics and their reading because we didn't have to worry about when we got to fourth and fifth grade, having to 
learn how to know one another. We just, we were a family by then and we have high expectations of one another. And so it allowed everybody to come back in and just feel that they could make mistakes, that they could not be the best at whatever, whatever we were, but they were going to be willing to try because they knew there were people around them to support them. The biggest challenge that I saw for myself that I had to get over initially was like, I don't know if I can learn all this content. I don't know if I could teach fifth grade well. I've never done it before, but I owe it to the students. They're committed to it. I'm committed, so I'm gonna do my work with them, you know, alongside them. I'm gonna tell them when I make mistakes. I've had students in my class in math that are like, uh, Ms. Thomas, you did that wrong. Or I'm like, ah, okay, I don't know how to do that fifth grade math because I struggled with math, remember guys? Like, I'm not sure. So can you check my fraction, you know? So, but all of that, it just, we just, we built, so much together and i think that that's a long lasting impression especially in areas and needs in in like uh low income areas of you know where sometimes we don't get the high quality instructors or we don't have you know, maybe all the resources if you have an individual who is invested and is willing to stay with a group and work with them you can have positive results it really is all about the results, which come when you're able to get to know a group of kids so well, like better than they know themselves, right? Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about SEL and forming connections with kids as we start this new school year. And just think about the connection that you form when you're with those kids, that same group for two years or, or even three years like you did. So I love looping. And I hope to any teachers, especially elementary teachers out there who are listening, that they would really consider giving looping a try. So speaking of results, I want to ask you about your work on the PED Educator Evaluation Task Force. What was that work like and what kind of conversations were you all having in that work? Um, so it was interesting. I think, okay, so the first when the task force getting together with, you know, people, educators at different levels in charter schools, public schools, um, administrators, um, union representation, state, all of, and a few teacher representatives, right? Some principals, administrators, all these other people's coming together. And I remember going into there and being like, okay. For myself, I had written a couple of years ago an op-ed about importance of school grade, right? And like how I felt like the school grade in addition to the teacher evaluation, because that ties into the quality, like with the grade is that it was really helpful because it helped to set a standard for what the school should offer, very minimal. So I felt like that, so I had written about that, you know, and I feel like sometimes educational issues get so politicized that you have to pick one side or the other. And I really, and I'm thankful for the opportunity for the secretary teacher advisory that I had when I was involved in that, that was my first opportunity to work with educators from across the state where we were able to put all of that aside and focus on the issues and student and it would be student centered. So walking into this place knowing, okay, I, this is, you know, I've, I've been very vocal about these things. I feel like the teacher evaluation is, a, is something 
that is a good practice. It does need improvements, but for the most part, it's not something that we should just scrap right away. I feel like um, it, it has its benefits, but how can we improve it? And I think around this time, it was just still trying to figure out how to, how to navigate those conversations. So I remember walking into the room and listening to everybody else speak and, and People are very strong with their words and their opinions about how they feel about things um, from the very like, I didn't like it. It was, you know, all the, 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 the negative to the things that they were the in between. And then the ones that were just like, okay, well, you know, let's, let's just get together. Let's collaborate. Let's break into our groups. Let's all just listen to one another. Let everyone share what they want to. And we had really good guidance, actually. So the, the facilitator and the person that we had to really facilitate our groups and our conversations was very helpful. But just listening to one another and then realizing that after all of whatever we're saying, at the, bo at, at the very heart of it, we all wanted the same thing. And so once we were able to take off all of our bandages and all our protective wear, we were able to like really dive in and have honest conversations and disagree with one another and agree um, and support one another, but do it in a very professional way that it just, it, we, we wanted our purpose of always, okay, this is students, what's best for students? How can we best help educators feel that they are an important critical piece in the education that they're offering their and, and the students and where they come from. Thank you for your work on that. I'm sure it wasn't easy. Um, I just want to close, Andrea, if you could just offer one piece of advice for our teachers as they're often running with this new year, uh, what would that one piece of advice be? I think that my biggest advice is just to show up every day for your students with a smile, despite all the other things that are happening, you know, and all the frustrations and all the other, you know, but I think that that moment that you give to your students, if it's a phone call, the excitement in your voice, the enthusiasm when you talk to their parents, um, and just really kind of calming them and getting them to just to be it's okay. You know, all of this is unfamiliar. We're all going to get by, but I'm here for to support you. I'm your, your biggest advocate. I'm going to be here to do the best that I can um, to ensure that you are, you know, the best that you can be. And I think that that is going to go a long way for our students and their families. Thank you to Andrea, the PED, and the MOGA for its sponsorship. Be sure to tune in next time when we sit down with Secretary Ryan Stewart. You'll get to hear all about his journey into teaching. May your coffee still be warm and your internet connection stable. Thanks for listening. <laughs>